0: son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. You know, when you're, when you're hungry, that piece of cake chocolate for me. But, you know, that piece of chocolate cake becomes more than just sustenance for the body whereby you might survive and live. Because, after all, uh, I, I have plenty of sustenance to survive. I don't need that cake. But, uh, uh, but it, it, it becomes my right. You know, I am hungry. And, after all, when you're hungry, you, you need to eat something. I don't want to get sick. You know, and, and, and all those other things. So, you know, when, you, 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 when you're hungry and you're looking at something to eat, it's like really, really hard to think through the logic of of dieting. That's why I'm thankful that when Satan came to Jesus and said, Look, you're hungry. You're not just hungry. You are like uber hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Wouldn't it be hard You know, little dinner roll, muffin. You you could probably do a cinnamon bun, Jesus. You know, you're just that good. And, uh, you know, so why not turn these, these stones into bread? And at that moment, Jesus, who is completely human, he's entirely and totally human, experiences the pangs of hunger that 40 days of fasting will generate inside of you. And in that human nature, there's a certain logic of appetite and desire that says, yes, cash in on your authority over creation. Turn these stones into bread. And I'm so thankful that Jesus had the self-control to say, no, we don't tempt God that way. We just, we just don't operate that way. See, the self-control of Jesus kept him from giving in to the normal desires of the flesh, and kept him focused on the will of the Father. This morning we come to the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Uh, self-control is not something that uh, we really want to talk about too much. My experience is that the people who say you need more self-control are the people who don't want the stuff I want anyway. You know, it, it, it's the person who, who, who tells you all you need is willpower in order to diet, and it's some little thin thing that couldn't gain weight if she tried. And you have, yes, uh-huh, right. <laughs> she never gets hungry. How, how does she know what I'm going through? But uh, self-control is not something that that comes naturally to us. We we tell people, you know, all you need is willpower. How's that willpower working on your New Year's resolutions? You are doing real well so far? Years young. (laughs) You know, you still have time. But, uh, uh, you know, it's not just a matter of, of trying harder to do better. Folks, I want you to try harder, and I want you to do better. But I know that's not the answer. Because if it were the answer, you would have tried harder and done better a long time ago. You know? The things that drive us in the flesh are a little bit deeper than just, oh, I didn't know I should, I, I, I should die. I didn't watch my caloric intake. I didn't know that. Well, okay, now that I know, I'll do it. No, it's, a, it's much deeper than that. It's much more problematic than that. And so um, Paul comes to this point. He says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Now, it, it's sort of humorous to, to think about it in terms of, of, of food, you know, looking at, at, at the chocolate cake. Notice I'm not using potato chips. <laughs> I have mastery over potato chips. I have discovered cashew nuts. But you know, you're looking, you're, you're looking at the chocolate cake and, and, and the way that, that, that uh, you know, the, the human nature works, the, the, the flesh, the body works, is seize cake, want cake, take cake, eat cake, I mean, that's the way... We, you, you see how intellectual that is. You know, it's, it's really thoughtful and philosophical, but, but that's the way we're geared. We're geared so that, that when the eyes see something that, that's good to eat, that, that the body is geared to release all those things into the bloodstream that make you hungry, and now you want to eat it, and so you'll take in sustenance and all that. I mean, this, this is a part of the way God has designed this, but it's just way out of kilter, and it's way out of control. It's way out of whack. So uh, it's, it's easy to see it in, in, in humorous things like that, but, but so often it, 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 it comes into very destructive behaviors when we talk about the emotions, and the desires and the appetites of the flesh. Uh, self-control is the ability to rise above the animal kind of instincts that are a part of human nature and to do the right thing and the helpful thing according to the will of God. To, 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 to rise above just our personal desires and to live out the way God wants us to uh, live. Now, this really gets important when we start to deal with emotions. Um, because, you know, anger comes along and, and we have this overwhelming urge to be angry. I, I imagine it has something to do with survival instincts that, you know, when, when faced with a tiger in the jungle, it's it's, it's really good to have these, this adrenaline pumping and the anger. And, and if you're backed against the, the corner to come out ferocious and things, okay, fine, we're not there anymore. But we live that way. You know, we get angry and we just want to unload on somebody. This hasn't happened to you, but, but other people have this thing where they're in an argument in the home with their, with their spouse and, and, and they're having this argument and they know there's one thing they could say that would just end the argument. You know, it, it, they would win the argument outright. They know that one word. That's all they have to say. They also know that it's the nuclear option. That if they say that, not only will their argument end, but so will the relationship for about the next week and they will be spending time in the doghouse. And so there's, you, you know, you, you ever do this? You're arguing you say, don't say it. Oh, but if I, I want to say it, you know, and so you say it. I mean, that's when you need self-control. That's when you need some kind of mechanism whereby you arise above the the old animalistic nature and you can actually do what God wants you to do. You see, self-control is one of those things that makes us human. I mean, we really don't think about self-control among the animals. We don't think of dolphins as needing self-control. When a mountain lion comes down out of the mountains and and, uh, attacks the the flock of sheep and and takes one of the sheep and kills it, I'm sorry if I'm upsetting you. But, uh, you know, the mountain lion comes and it takes one of the sheep and kills the sheep and all that. I mean, we don't go to the mountain lion and wag our finger in his face because you can only do that once. I knew a man who did that. His name was Stumpy. But, uh, you know, we were, uh, you know, you you don't go to the mountain lion and say, You know, you're weak. You need more self-control. You need to put those animal instincts under, under bondage. No, we understand this is what mountain lions do. And the only way to deal with mountain lions is in mountain lion talk, was kind of like, do it again and I'll kill you, you know, that, that kind of thing. So um, we, we don't expect animals to, to exhibit self-control, you know. Uh, we, we don't expect dolphins to go, go crazy and nuts over the caloric intake of their diet. You know, human beings we do. It's one of the things that makes us human, having self-control. Uh, control in that way and so self-control has also to do with being authentically human you know we have these bodies we're physical in nature and so the, the the mechanisms that cause the appetites and the desires you know all those are operating within us but as human beings we are called to rise above that and to not live on that level and to give into that. And so the uh, Holy Spirit gives us that kind of self-control. Now, it's mentioned as the last item in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. We've been looking at that for a, a couple of weeks. And, uh, uh, you know, Paul started out, he said, you know, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And then the last one he says is self-control. I don't think that's an accident. If you have your text in front of you, look at, look at Galatians 5. And I want to back up, get, get sort of the context of this. In verse 19, well, really, I should read verse 18. Well, 17 is a good verse. Okay. Turn to Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. All right. But, but really, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the authentic gospel through this whole thing. We're talking about the authentic gospel, that we are not saved by legalistic religion. We're not saved by keeping rules. We are saved by the grace of God given to us, appropriated by faith, and that the life that we have in Christ is not one of trying harder and doing better. The life that we have is the grace of God filling us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, up there in Galatians 5.19... he talks about the works of the flesh. Well, it, it, do, do go up to 18. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, that, that's our, our key into it. So we're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. See, he has this contrast between the flesh and the spirit. That's why he talked about the works of the flesh. We looked at that uh, some time ago. And then he talks about the fruit of the spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit has done. And we've been abiding in in that that list of things uh, for some time. But in, in verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here's what they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, in the drunkenness orgies and things like these Paul says you know this is just a starter list we could go on and on with what the work of the flesh is what, what the deeds of the flesh is this this is what the, the sort of the animal side of us does he says and if you give into that and if you live according to that this is what's going to happen in your life but then in verse 22 he says but the fruit of the spirit Okay. The deeds of the flesh are these. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And then he says, and finally, self-control. That is, all those things and desires that he listed as works of the flesh, those things come under the control of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit um, as a fruit of the Spirit. Now, the first thing he mentions there is sexual immorality. Um, and that's, that may be the primary meaning that Paul has in mind. Uh, when the Greeks used this word that's what they had in mind was the ability to rein in the sexual appetite and desires and, and things like that um, if, if you want sort of a biblical illustration of that think of David and Bathsheba you know, David one night he gets up he's trying to cool off because it's hot and he goes up on the roof of the palace and uh, uh, he, he's walking around cooling off and he looks over the side of that and, and he sees her He sees her. He's taking a bath. See woman. Want woman. Take woman. Scripture says he went back inside. He says, who's that lady over there? Well, that, that's Bathsheba. Called her in. The Scripture says he, he laid with her. Now, the kindest thing you can say about David is that he committed adultery with her. That's the kindest thing you can say. You might even say he raped her because Bathsheba's viewpoint on all this really isn't given other than uh, the, the, the only line she has is when she announces uh, to David, she sends word, she says, look, I'm pregnant. And he realizes he's got to cover this thing up and so he he calls in Bathsheba's husband Uriah and uh, we'll shorten the story eventually. He sends Uriah and he he gives the commander uh, of the army. He says, look, put Uriah out on the front lines. Put him in a place of danger where the fighting is really fierce. And Uriah goes out and he is killed. He is murdered by the orders of David. Read the text very carefully. You'll find out that a lot of other soldiers were murdered with Uriah as well. So it's not just one murder. It's a a, a collection of murders. And, And David his life begins to go in a tailspin because he had given in to this desire he failed in the self-control area and then Nathan comes to him and says thou art the man and David uh, confesses his sin and is repentant now here's the thing David was a godly man the scripture says he was a man after God's own heart and this is still what happened to him. It's, it, it's what we live with. It's, it's the reality of life that, that we live with. And Paul writes that against this kind of life driven by desire and appetite is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is self-control, bringing these appetites into the place where God designed them to be. You see, the appetites and the desire themselves are not sinful. That's, that's the way God made us. Look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Adam made the man, the woman, brought them together, husband, wife, What's the first thing he said? This is the first commandment in the Bible. Be fruitful and multiply. Those of you who understand what that means, God said, nothing wrong with that desire. I've created the environment in which it is a noble and beautiful thing. I've given you marriage. Not only that, the hunger you're going to experience, I've given you the garden. You can eat of anything in the garden. Just one restriction, that's it. But other than that, your, your appetite for food is going to be satisfied. Your appetite for fellowship is going to be satisfied. In other words, all your desires and all your hungers are going to be met because God designed us that way to glorify Him as we live in that environment. What happened? Adam and Eve looked at the fruit and they decided, we're tired of God being in control. We want to be in control. Now that sounds like self-control, but it was actually out of control. They thought it was taking control into themselves, but their lives actually went into a tailspin. They started being suspicious of one another. They felt shame with one another. They started accusing one another. Uh, the relationship breaks down. Their, their, their relationship with God breaks down. And the whole human race breaks down. But the appetite itself is there because God designed us that way. The question is, how is that appetite regulated and controlled? And Paul says, when the Holy Spirit is in you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are given self-control over these kinds of things. So it's no surprise, really, that Paul mentions this last in the experience, in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we experience self-control when God is in control we experience self-control when God takes control of our lives Um, we fail because we think we need willpower what we really need is the Holy Spirit of God uh, within us Um, I mean here's what happens Uh, we come into the world and the first thing we need to learn we don't necessarily learn it but the first thing we need to learn is how to submit to authority it's called mom and dad usually but as a little baby, we come into the world, can't blame these little kids. I mean, they're, they're, they're just babies, but, you know, I'm hungry, feed me. I'm cold, clothe me. I'm, change me, okay? So, um, uh, you know, we come into the world sort of with this, this, this idea that, you know, the world is here to meet my needs, and if you don't do that, I'm going to scream. And the louder I scream, the quicker the big people will come and take care of me. By the way, that's why you raise your voice when you're scared and angry. You're just going back to the crib. But that's the way we come to the world. The first thing we need to learn is how to submit to authority. So that when mom and dad say, get out of the road, we don't say, well, I'm playing ball in the road, and it seems to me an appropriate thing for me to sit here and bounce the ball. No, we, we need to know. Mom and dad say, get out of the road. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I think. All I know is the authority said, get out of the road. And as soon as I get out of the road, the Mack truck goes by. This this is why the parenting process is one, first of all, of teaching a child how to rein in their feelings, appetites, and desires in order to be submissive to appropriate authority. This isn't a sanction for the brow-beating abusive parent. This is simply saying the loving parent teaches the child they can trust the voice of authority in their lives. And it starts out being mom and dad. That's the first thing we learn. And then as we get older, that submission to authority that is external to us has to become internal. See, when a preschooler is is tooling around, uh, the the authority is all external, but we don't worry too uh, too much about that. Because after all, how much damage can a preschooler do? Okay, bad example. But, uh, uh, you know, we, we don't pay enough attention to it. But, you know, if, if this, this little preschool mentality that my wants, my desires, I have to get my way, this, you know, this sort of out-of-control life is lived into adolescence, you've got a real problem on your hands. And if that same attitude survives into young adulthood, you've got somebody who's going to be in therapy for the rest of their life. So the, the need, then, is to submit to that external authority, but as you grow older, then, you need to understand there's an internal authority. It's not just that... When mom and dad are here and they tell me something's wrong, but it's, I just know it's wrong. It's called the conscience. Now, the human conscience can be twisted, distorted, and perverted. We see that in our world today just just constantly. People have have no sense of shame, no sense of right and wrong, no sense that some things are are just offensive and, and, and things like that. So the conscience can be distorted. That's why Peter says in our baptism, we are appealing to God for a good conscience. That is a conscience that actually knows what is right and wrong because it knows the Father in heaven. Uh, but but that, that's the process as we're growing up. We need to take that ability that we learn from our parents to submit to external authority, and now we can submit to internal authority. You know, and that's a life that is under control. It doesn't have to give in to the passions and to the desires and the appetites constantly. It's not ruled by those things, but is rather able to submit to the authority of what's right and wrong. But here's the goal. The goal is then, when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into us and takes up residence within us, and the Holy Spirit becomes the internal authority of the believer. And if all has gone well, as God designed, then we have been taught how to submit to the authority of parents, then the authority of conscience. And we learn, ah, now to submit to the authority of the Holy Spirit. And that's what it means to be under self-control. It is not the self in control, but the self is controlled. And is controlled by the work, the ministry, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So the self-control that, that Paul talks about is a work of the Holy Spirit uh, in, uh, in our lives in that regard. Um, the Holy Spirit is a work of grace. Or self-control is a work of grace. It's not, it not a matter of willpower. I mean, one of the worst things I could tell you this morning is, Buck up, try harder. You've already bucked up and tried harder all you, all you could. You know. And it just hasn't worked. It just hasn't worked. What I want to tell you is it's, a, it's the work of God's grace. And let me suggest to you some of the things and, and how that, that works out in our lives. Um, first off, the Holy Spirit gives us a vision of Christ. The Holy Spirit sets our eyes on Jesus and when you see him, it displaces the other things of the world. Now, I know uh, that, that we're not always that, that consistent in it. You know, sometimes our eyes are, are taken off Christ, and sometimes we see things of the world that we really want, and, and, we, and, and we have notions in our head that seem appealing to us, and, and we give in to them, and, and, and it just starts that downward slide. I understand that. But the Holy Spirit constantly gives us a vision of Christ. And that vision of Christ is the authority, is, is, the, is the magnet that draws us out of just living like animals and, and to live as, as human beings created by God for His glory. It gives us a, 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 a vision uh, for Christ in, um, in, in that regard. Um, that's why some, some folks come to Jesus. You know, the alcoholic who comes to Christ, accepts Him as Lord and Savior never wants another drop again. That happens. We praise God because he has that kind of power. But there are some folks, alcoholics, addicts, and they come to Christ and they accept him as Lord and Savior and the devil leaves them alone for a season and then he starts in on them and he starts in on them. And that, that young Christian comes to understand that every day is going to be a struggle. Every day is going to be that desire that has to be submitted once more to the power of the Holy Spirit. And the person who's healed instantaneously and never has another, another desire again ought to give glory and praise to God for the goodness that has saved him. And the person who struggles every day with a compulsion or an addiction ought to give glory to God that every day he is there to give them yet another day of victory over that. It is the same God, the same grace, working for His glory in our lives. The Holy Spirit gives us that, that vision of, of Christ and tells us what we ought to love. Now, will Christ ever give up on you? No, never. Will Christ ever look at you and say, wow, I had no idea you were like that. Boy, did I make a mistake when I died for you. I can't believe you did that. Does Christ ever give up on us? No, never. The blood shall never lose its power. Ever, ever, ever. So the Holy Spirit giving us this vision of Christ and a a relationship with Christ brings that self-control into our lives. Secondly, the Holy Spirit gives us courage. Gives us the courage to face the truth. You know, one of the reasons we don't get help with things and uh, uh, we don't uh, uh, try to work through problems is we're afraid of what we're going to find, you know. Uh, you know, all those, all those things in the past that we don't want to think about, I don't want to think about them now either, you know. I don't want to think about them with a counselor. I don't want to think, think about them with, with, with uh, somebody sharing uh, from the body of Christ, sharing with me the wisdom of God. I, I don't want to face those things. But here's the deal. God is truth. And we ought never to be afraid of the truth. And if you look back into your past and you find what's, what's driving you and those compulsions and those, those, those notions in your head and those feelings and those, those things that are just out of control in your life and you're seeing them and you're looking at them, you don't need to be afraid of them because when you discover what they are, God already knew about them. He knew about them when Christ died on the cross for you. He knew about them when he saved you. He knew about him just today when he loved you enough to bring you up out of your sleep into the beauty of life. I mean, God, God just loves you like that. And so uh, it, it, the Holy Spirit gives us the courage to face the truth. And the Holy Spirit gives us also the courage to get the help that we need. Um, you know, there's something about guys. It's not just that we don't want to uh, admit we're lost and ask for directions. We don't want to admit we're wrong. We don't want to admit that, that uh, we need help on anything. I mean, we'll, we'll spend five hours under a car trying to figure out how to get the, uh, uh, the, the, the oil filter off because Ford Motor Company put it behind the strut that went over here. And I know they put the strut on after the engine with the oil filter. All right, this was a personal thing. But, you know, we'll spend five hours doing that before we go to somebody and say, hey, do you have this special tool that only you know, that, that does nothing but remove oil filters from my uh, uh, Y-block, Y-block uh, 390? But, uh, uh, but the Holy Spirit gives us the courage to ask for help. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want a show of hands, but is there anybody who knows what I'm talking about here this morning? You just understand what it is To have something in your life that's out of control. An anger issue, an addiction issue. Um, And it's just out of control. And you need help with it. You don't need to be afraid of help. You don't need to be afraid of asking for help. Because when you get the help, you find out it was God working all the time. You You can't go anywhere in your life except God's already known about it. And he's already there. Is already there, so the fruit of the Spirit is, is that kind of self control generated by the work of the, of, of the Spirit. But let me leave you just with this the Holy Spirit gives us self control because the Holy Spirit gives us hope. Hope, you know, one of, one of the things about a life that's out of control, a life of addiction, for example, um, uh, it, is that it, it just seems so hopeless. You know, I try my best and I fall. And I get up, okay, I'll try my best again, and I fall. And I try my best again, and I fall, you know. And we start to think, there's no hope. Let me tell you something. It will not last forever. The grace of God lasts forever. The condition of our sinful estate does not last forever. One day, the trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ are raised. And we who are alive at his coming are lifted up to meet him in the air. And we are given you celestial resurrection bodies like his own resurrection body. And it goes right back to where God intended it to be all along. And this momentary light affliction that we have lived through in this life will pale into insignificance with the glory of eternity with God and the glory of things as he created us to be. It will not last forever. And there's hope even today. The Holy Spirit gives us hope. Because every time you stumble, God is there to reach up and lift you up. Every, every, every time you blow it, God is there. He says, okay, even if we have to go back to square one, start all over again, there's nothing I'd rather do than to walk this journey with you. The Holy Spirit gives us hope. You know, in a few moments we come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in the Garden of Gethsemane experienced the very human emotions that you and I would experience if we were facing a horrific death. He knew what was about to come into his life. It was was going to be the... the, um, Uh, the, the, The agony, not just the physical agony of the cross, but the spiritual agony of our sins being weighted upon his shoulder and crushing the life out of them. All that coming his way. And Jesus Christ, who is fully human, absolutely, completely human, has all those same sort of biochemical things going on in him. And he says, Father, if it's possible at all, let this cup be removed from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Folks, that's the self-control that saved your life. It's in Jesus Christ. And we come to the table and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim hope in Jesus Christ until that day we see him face to face. We proclaim that there is life in him. Until that day, raised to newness of life, we live in all eternity and an everlasting life. That's what we celebrate. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control because it is the internal presence of God giving us the grace of God to bring our lives under God's control. The gift of self-control. Let's pray together. Father, as often we see such a gap between the where we know you want us to be and where we are. But Father, I'm so thankful that between where we were and where we are today, there's also a gap bridged by the cross of Christ, bringing us out of darkness into light, out of death into life itself. Father, I'm praying for that person here this morning who, who is struggling, Uh, with control in their life. Things are just going in all different directions. They don't know where to turn, and they don't, don't know how to cope with it all. Father, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit even now to bring that hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the power that we have in Christ. Father, to bring the new life that we have in Christ, that there would be healing and wholeness restored. Father, help us to understand that our lives are in control when you are in control of us. I thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.